Well, today I want to share a message that the Lord's put on my heart of the power to witness, witnessing power, that Pentecost Sunday was a, a, or Pentecost was a day when the Holy Spirit would come upon the church and would empower the church. And the church would experience the presence of God in a new way. But not just for themselves personally, but that the Holy Spirit would come upon the church in power so that they would move in power. And our big idea, which will make sense in a few minutes, is this. The Holy Spirit anoints the church for power, not to build a tower. The Holy Spirit anoints the church for power, not to build a tower, to go not to stay. And there's a familiar story that, that you may know in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4 to 9, where the people on earth are building a tower, a building a tower toward God, but not to get to God. They're building a tower for themselves. They say this, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. In other words, they didn't want to go. They wanted to stay. They wanted to stay, and they wanted to build a tower, and they wanted to make a name for themselves, and they wanted, you know, people from the outside to look at them and go, wow, you guys are amazing. (laughs) Verse 5, and the Lord came down to see this city and the tower they were building, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another in speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there to the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Now, the Tower of Babel narrative is really the bridge between the the origin or creation story and the story of Israel. So, right there in Genesis 11, we we end this, this creation narrative, and then we begin the story of Abraham, and God would call the chosen nation of Israel in chapter 12 of Genesis. And so, right in the middle, we have this story of the Tower of Babel, where the people are saying a few things that are just really unhealthy. And I think sometimes we say these things as well. They say, we want to make a tower, a city, and let us make a name for ourselves. In other words, let's build this structure. Let's become this fortified city. Let's make a name for ourselves, and let's not go to the ends of the earth. In other words, let's stay Let's stay, let's build, let's be comfortable, let's be, you know, let's just be something pretty, pretty good. But we don't want to go. And God said, I have different plans. And from here, we have the birth of new languages and new nations, and God would disperse them to the ends of the earth. And you might be thinking that God, like, that's pretty mean, God. I mean, they were like building this awesome city, and it sounds like it was going to be pretty good. I mean, why, why disperse them? 
You see, their original commandment in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 28, which is to Adam and Eve, we know this here because Pastor Barry's taught on it, I don't know how many times, so we should know it by heart. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And then he goes on to say, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, the command, this wasn't just a blessing to Adam and Eve, The commandment to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue, to to take over, to expand the kingdom of God throughout the earth. In other words, God's intention for the Garden of Eden was that Adam and Eve would continue to expand that garden, which I see representative as the kingdom of God. They would continue to expand the kingdom of God to the far reaches of the earth. And here we have this story in Genesis 11 where the people are quite satisfied with not going. (laughs) They're quite satisfied to stay and to sit, to build a city, to make a name for themselves. And really, I see this as a rejection of the commandment of God in Genesis chapter 1, which is to go, to subdue, to be fruitful and to multiply. In my, in my past life, when I was a construction manager, I, I used to build large multifamily residential projects in the area. And, and I remember whenever I was driving near one of these projects with just about anybody, whether that's my kids or my parents when they were visiting from New York or friends or whoever, I would just take a slight detour you know, from the main road just to show them, hey, this is a project that I built. And I was so proud of myself, you know, even though I physically didn't put one nail in on the entire project, I just managed people to do so, I was quite proud to drive by this project and to show people what I had built. Whenever my kids will build something with Lego, they will often build homes or towers and the higher the better, right? And they'll usually call me, hey, daddy, come, come look at the tower I have built. You know, there's something to be said about wanting people to come and look at something that we have built or something that we have done, whether we're artists or authors or builders or whatever, just to be recognized, right? We have this draw as human beings to be recognized. We have this pride to be acknowledged, to make a name for ourselves. And while there's a healthy balance to that, clearly the people here have drifted into a very unhealthy balance. I felt like my prayer this week was, Lord, I never want to build a kingdom or a tower or a name for myself just to have people come and look at it, Lord. Keep me humble, Lord. That was my prayer this week. I don't want to be like the people at the Tower of Babel that just wanted to make a name for themselves. And it's a struggle because in a day of social media and in a day of, 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 of the stage and in, in self-promotion and in, in a day where you, you actually, like think about this for a moment, you actually get on social media and you're selling yourself. Like it's, that's the world that we live in, right, is promote yourself and you sell yourself and, and you're great and you're wonderful and make sure everybody knows it. Well, it's kind of like this, isn't it? Isn't it kind of like the Tower of Babel? Come, look at this city that I've built. Come, look at this name that I've made for myself. 
And the reason I bring this up is that we're moving toward this understanding of the day of Pentecost, and I want us to have a fresh lens for what actually happened at Pentecost. There are three temptations that we can learn from the Tower of Babel. One is our temptation to build a city and a tower in our own power. The second temptation is to make a name for ourselves. The third temptation is to stay comfortable, stay local. But you'll always be tempted with what I call a counterfeit experience. And we turn to Mark chapter 10 as we have this rich young man and he comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees before Jesus and he he ran up to him and he fell on his knees and he said, good teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) And Jesus says further down, go, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus didn't say, go and sell everything you have, and you will have nothing. He said, go and sell everything you have, and you will have treasure, treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The young man didn't want to give up what he had built, You see, he went away sad because his tower was tall and his name was great and he was so comfortable with his wealth. God required his tower. God required the very thing that he had built up and worshiped. And God requires the same things in our life. There are things in our life that we need to give up. Whether it's our time, whether it's our service, serving Him, serving others, it could be our finances, could be just our approach to the plans we have for our life. It could be our purposes. It could could be the things that we hold closest to us. God is saying, would you lay it at my feet? And it's not that you're gonna walk away with nothing. You're gonna walk away with something great and something even greater than this tower that you've built. You're You're gonna have a name that's even greater than the name for yourself. You're gonna end up with treasure in heaven, eternal treasure. You're gonna end up with my name instead of your name. Come and follow me. So we come to the book of Acts. Some call this the birth of the church. The book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. In chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, Jesus has been resurrected and it says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. So for 40 days, Jesus appeared to them so that there would be no mistake that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It says he appeared to them for 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. 
Because he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so from this point where Jesus has taught for 40 days on the kingdom of God, in another 10 days the Holy Spirit would come upon the people, so it would be 50 days total from the resurrection. Hence the name Pentecost. Wait. Here we have Jesus say, wait. How long? Well, we know that they only waited 10 days, but they didn't know that. <laughs> Somebody brought that to my attention this week. I was having a conversation, and, and, and she said, what if, what if they had to wait 100 years? How long would they have waited? See, they didn't know how long to wait, but they came together and they waited. They waited until the Holy Spirit came upon them. Sometimes I get antsy in the waiting. And I just want to start building, right? Sometimes we want to just be building a tower to stay busy, and God is saying, just, just hold on, just wait. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's a, a new job that you're feeling a pull toward. Maybe there's a, a new community that you want to move to. Maybe you're wrestling over a decision of, of what to do in your kids' lives or in your marriage or in your work life. And maybe you're just wrestling over a decision and the tendency when we're not quite hearing in the waiting is to just begin doing. But maybe the Lord is saying to you this morning, just wait a little longer. The church would be filled with power. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive dynamite. <laughs> Or it is dunamis, power, explosive power. See, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, and what happens to the church is this. There's evidence of speaking in tongues, but the gifts of the Spirit also come upon the church in various forms. There's signs and wonders. There's many different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But there's actually one central thing that is actually more important than even these, if I can say that. Some of you old school Pentecostals or Foursquare people will be like, what? But there's something actually more important than all of that. The Holy Spirit came upon the church to witness that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon the people and give them a power to boldly declare the gospel. That declaring the gospel, proclaiming the word of God is the most important thing. I want to speak in tongues. I want to have this prayer language with the Lord, and I want to see all of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, these are important and critical and more important for the church today than ever before. I firmly believe that. Anyone that knows me knows that I believe that more than most. But, but the reason for the Holy Spirit to come upon the church primarily was the power to witness. Witness. 
Why? Because they're restoring what was lost. Track with me here. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. And suddenly, suddenly, I don't know about you, but I love the suddenlies of God. (laughs) There's a lot of suddenlies in the Bible, and, and Mark loves suddenly, if you've read the book of Mark. He loves the immediate. We've been going through the book of Mark. And here in Acts, suddenly there came from heaven. Where, where did it come from? It came from heaven. It wasn't the emotion in the room. It wasn't some different energy. It wasn't the people just wanting to be excited. It was from heaven. A sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. We were praying together with the worship team before, and, and, and Keaton said it filled the house before it filled the people. I like that. It filled the house. In other words, it's in the house, and now the people have an opportunity to respond. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were together in one place. They spoke other tongues And here we have really the birth of Pentecost. Here is really the birth of the Pentecostal expression, Pentecostal theology. But the the Holy Spirit rested on a unified church. So the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. They speak in tongues. Now, what is tongues? Tongues is a heavenly language. It's the language of the Holy Spirit. I often pray in tongues in my own personal prayer language. When there's tongues in a corporate setting, there will be the gift of tongues together with the gift of interpretation many times in a corporate setting. But you can worship in this gift of tongues, this heavenly language. This is the language of the Holy Spirit. That is all true, but that is actually not what happens in this story. They are not speaking the heavenly language in this story. They're not praying in their own personal prayer language in this story. And although this is used as the verse for determining the baptism with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, that is actually not what happens in this particular story. Don't change the channel yet. It says this, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered. They heard this sound, the the sound of all of these Men and women that were speaking in tongues, they heard this sound. It was bewildering. It caught their attention, and they turned toward this place, and they they were amazed, saying, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes 
and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own languages. We hear our own languages, the mighty works of God. We hear them testifying in our languages. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked them, saying they're filled with new wine. I want to show you a map of of where the people in the day of Pentecost actually, check it out. Look at all of these places that on the day of Pentecost, here, in this place, in this space, at one time, all of these nations represented, heard the mighty works of God being declared in their own languages. And, and these, these Galileans, these unschooled Galileans who hadn't traveled anywhere, had now been bestowed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. Those tongues were these native languages. Now that does not mean that speaking in tongues is not a heavenly language. It is, it absolutely is. However, in this story, there was something even bigger than a personal prayer language happening. In other words, God was restoring what was lost at Babel. See, I don't know if you remember, but at at Babel, they were speaking one language, and then God dispersed them, and they spoke different languages, and they were divided, that at the Tower of Babel, the people of the earth were divided, and here we have on the day of Pentecost from division to unified, and the people came together, and, and they began speaking in other tongues, and the world was being unified in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was restoring what was lost at Babel, that a disobedient and divisive people would come together, they would hear the mighty works of God in their own language, and guess what would happen? Happen. They would come to Jesus. We are anointed with the Holy Spirit for a personal prayer language, absolutely. For a corporate expression of worship, absolutely. All those things are vital and necessary, and, and, and we need more of it, to be honest, in the church today. All of you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with that heavenly language, and speak in other tongues, and worship in other tongues. But also, let's not stay and celebrate that. We have been given the power to witness, power to go, not power to stay into the community that we are in. God's people would be given the power to fulfill the Great Commission. It's a commission with Jesus and it's a commission with the Holy Spirit that he is with you to empower you to declare the mighty works of God to those in your life. And get this, from, a, from an, a little bit of an abstract standpoint, we will be given language to speak to our culture. In other words, I will be given the right words in the right situation with my neighbor, with my husband or wife who might not know Jesus. That, that, that in these moments, in these personal one-to-one moments with a coworker or over lunch or over coffee, whenever that's allowed again, that we will be given the power 
to witness. That when people hear our words as we talk about Jesus, as we talk about the mighty works of God, they would begin to hear their own story and they would be drawn to Jesus. You see, for me, the the power of the Holy Spirit in, in gifts is that we might have the mighty works of God in our church and in our lives and, and that we would then tell other people about these mighty works of God. And those mighty works would also become a witness for those that don't know Jesus or have never seen God or don't think that God exists. Well, once people encounter things like divine healing, once people encounter things like a prophetic word over their life, This God that was invisible out there somewhere now becomes near and close and real in their lives. And many people are introduced to God through the mighty works. May the Lord give us language in this time. Language in our culture, language to our neighbor and to our coworker and to our friends and family that maybe don't know him. So why is the church baptized with the Holy Spirit? For power and to restore what was lost at Babel and to receive the power to witness. What is the result of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit here in Acts? Well, the result is that uh, people went to their homes and started praying in, in their prayer language. That's not what it says. You see, after they received the Holy Spirit, Peter preached a sermon. Peter preached a sermon highlighting the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on men and women, slave and free, reiterating what was spoken in the book of Joel. Peter's sermon then highlights the power of the Holy Spirit in areas of prophecy and vision and dreams and wonders. Peter then preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to the house of Israel. And 3,000 people come to Jesus. 3,000 people from 120 to to 3,120. In other words, there's 2,500% growth in one day. Because the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon people. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. All of these nations around turn to this flame. They don't see the flame, I don't think, but they hear the sound and they turn and they hear the mighty works of God in their own language and then people will stick around when they see something like that. And then Peter preaches and thousands are added to the church. It's not about numbers. It's the fact that there is something dunamis happening. Explosive, unmistakable, unexplainable that happens on the day of Pentecost. That what was lost at Babel, where the people wanted to build a tower and a city and make a name for themselves, now would be marked with one name. The name of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
This church would be marked with signs and wonders, and there would be power in their preaching. And many people would come to the Lord. The day of Pentecost sparked a fire that has not stopped burning. This fire was rekindled in 1906 at the Azusa Street Revival with a one-eyed black man named William Seymour. William Seymour would begin having meetings where he would preach, prophesy, pray for healing. A one-eyed black man, yes, would pray for healing. And many were coming to Jesus. In fact, the power of God was, was so demonstrative on Azusa Street in this little old warehouse. I can see the picture of that white warehouse in my head, black and white photo of it. The power of God was so, power, was so mighty that it says that people from blocks away before they even got to the building were healed. At times, there was a visible fire coming down upon that building. In fact, it says the fire department was called multiple times to rush to the building because they thought that it was on fire. But it was not an earthly fire. It was a heavenly fire. And from there, the Pentecostal denomination and Pentecostal theology really began to take shape. And Foursquare is part of that movement of course, Amy Semple McPherson was in the 20s, and, and our Foursquare movement was birthed out of that Pentecostal theology. And so we believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of them. And, and you might be sitting at home, and, and you're unsure. You're worried about the Holy Spirit. That's okay. Just study the Word, study the book of Acts, start there, and let us know if you ever, ever had any, any questions because the Holy Spirit is for you. For you. I want to invite the worship team to come up and, and we're, we're going to worship the Lord. And as a response to, you know, just position your heart. Position your heart because He is here He's always here, and he's always wanting to interact with you. And so we're going to let the worship team lead us. And as they lead us, I want you to just, just sit and wait and just position your heart in a waiting place. You don't have to make anything happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you as you wait for him. And so we're going to wait this morning. Father, I pray in our waiting, we will be still We welcome you. We know that you're here wherever we are. We know, we know conceptually you're here. But I pray experientially you'd be here. We invite you to speak to us. And as we worship now and as we lay our lives down at your feet right now, Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us, touch us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.